Good morning. Isn't it good to be together again? Let us pray. Breath of God, breathe on us, fill us with life anew, that we may love what you love, and that we may do what you do. Amen. Well, from 1989 to 1996, I served as a missionary, the Christian Missionary Alliance in uh, Pakistan, and uh, raised our family there, and our children were young, and the Pakistanis loved to uh, come and uh, talk with their children, uh, and uh, I know it wasn't always the most comfortable thing for our kids, but our kids grew used to it too. And uh, one morning, we'd been in the country maybe just over a year. I was in language study, going to language school. And uh, our oldest son, Thomas, was in grade one. And so I was, uh, he was going off to his school. And I, we were at a bus stop. And a bus from his school was going to pick him up. And uh, so we were waiting there. And then I was going to go on to my uh, language school. And uh, I saw a man come up and start uh, talking and, and uh, chatting with Thomas. And I didn't really pay much attention to it until I heard the word Jesus. Once I heard the word Jesus, I got quite interested. And I realized that this uh, man was a, a, a Malvi, which is a religious leader of a mosque. And uh, he was asking Thomas about uh, his experience uh, at school. He said, do you go to the Christian school? And Thomas said, yes, I go to Murray Christian School. And then he says, what do they teach you about Jesus at that school? And uh, Thomas is a little bit of a precocious kid, uh, maybe knew more than he should have and about all these things. But he, he said... They, they teach that Jesus is the Son of God. And my, my antenna really went up because in a Muslim culture, that's going to raise some hackles. And, uh, and just for good measure, Thomas put in there that, uh, and Jesus is our Savior, and he is the only way to heaven. Well, the, the, the Mulvey at that point got quite agitated. And uh, he, was, he was going to enter right into a debate with my son, but uh, fortunately, the bus from the school came. I was able to get Thomas onto that, and, uh, and then, of course, the Mulvey turned to me. He said, are you a Christian from America? And I said, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm from Canada. I don't, I don't think it made any difference to him, just that I was from the West. And he says, okay, and he... he uh, laid an accusation on me that I'd heard several times, and so I was somewhat prepared for this conversation. I want you to know that. Uh, he had laid this accusation on me. He said, well, if you're uh, from a uh, Christian, and you're from, he kept saying he was from America, uh, we'll blame the Americans. I mean, that's good policy anyway. Uh, he, he said, how can in a, in a Christian nation there be so many evils? There's adultery, uh, uh, murder, violence, your movies, very bad. And he, he just had a whole list of things. He said, if that's Christianity, what kind of religion is that? Well, I think my response to him uh, sort of stunned him. He wasn't prepared uh, for it. And I said to him, I said, well, uh, sir, I just want to say to you that I, I think... Uh, yes, my nation was formed as a Christian nation, but I said, I don't believe it's a Christian nation any longer. I said, in fact, our nation 
desperately needs salvation from God. But he was, he was absolutely stunned to silence. And it uh, gave me a moment then to jump into the uh, conversation and, t- and take control of it in some ways. So I said to him, can I ask you a couple questions? And he said, sure. So I said, first of all, are you a Muslim? And he responded, Allah ka shukarha. Thanks be to God, I am. And I said, okay. And do you believe that Pakistan is an Islamic nation? And he said, Bill Cool, absolutely, Allah ka shukarha. Thanks be to God, it is. And then with as much gentleness as I could muster and some trepidation for sure, I said to him, then, can you tell me what kind of religion is Islam? Because if we read the newspaper and there was a newspaper stand right beside us, I said, if we take a newspaper off of here and we read it together, we're going to read about corruption in the government, uh, murders that took place, thefts that happened. And without saying a word to me, he turns to uh, the tea stall was right beside us as well, and uh, everything happens at the bus stops there. He turned to the tea, owner of the tea shop, he said, I need two cups of tea. This guy's asking me questions I cannot answer. Well, I knew I wasn't going to get to language school on time, and, uh, which didn't bother me too much. This is a lot, probably better language practice anyway. And uh, for about two hours, we talked about our faith. I think we had a few cups of tea, actually, in that time. And we, we talked about our faith, and, and, and it wasn't my beliefs that bothered him or... or interested him or made him curious. It was my presence in Pakistan. He said, if, if there is so much need in Canada, then why are you concerned about my beloved Pakistan? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Because the last two Sundays, we've been looking at the need In our own community, Pastor Caleb looked at uh, the need in Grand Prairie, and Pastor Anthony looked at the need more regionally in our province and in Canada. And and by all accounts, the need is great, and and we are compelled to reach out to our local community and to our province and to our nation. And And if that need is so great, why? do we bother reaching out to the nations? Well, the one-line answer in the short sermon, which unfortunately I'm not going to give you, is because God has a passion to reach the nations. God has a passion to reach the nations. And, and the reason I'm not going to give you a short answer is because it needs to be defended. But it, it, it won't be defended with statistics I could give you a lot of statistics this morning, and I'm not saying statistics are wrong. I'm simply saying that statistics become overwhelming, and, and, and many times we just shut down because the need seems so great. But the thing that we are alive and responsive to is the Word of God, and we need to hear God's voice today, and we need to respond to Him. Do you hear God's passion for all nations in the Great Commission accounts? Matthew says, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and preach the good news to all creation. 
Luke says, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Just as it's going to begin at Jerusalem. John says, for God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only son to the whole world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And finally, the verse that we've been focused on uh, during uh, our time in the last three Sundays is, or these past three Sundays, is you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, to the nations. But you know, God's passion for the nations did not begin with the New Testament Great Commissions. God's passion is expressed over and over and over again, right from the beginning of the Old Testament, all the way through the Old Testament, and then into the New Testament. And, and before we look at that evidence, and I'm, I'm just going to take you very briefly through major parts of the Old Testament. Before we look at that, we have to admit one thing, that Israel did not embrace God's passion. The Old Testament is really a record of Israel's failure to follow God's passion. And yet, let it not diminish, let not their failure diminish our understanding of God's passion and our catching God's passion for the nations. Well, we begin right in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And... Uh, Many people believe that this is the first great commission in Scripture. It was given to Abraham by God, and God says to him, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then don't miss it. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Israel was to be uh, a, a mediator. They, they were to be a priesthood to deliver the message of salvation to all the world. Isn't it interesting we come to the New Testament and we are called a royal priesthood. Still our mandate. It's still right from the beginning. Now, we don't have time to go through all passages in detail, but here's just a, a summary of ideas of how God is passionate for the nations. And we go uh, to that, probably the least read book of the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. And there we find that in chapter 19, in verses uh, 33 to 34, it says there, God tells the people, welcome foreigners. Welcome foreigners, but he doesn't just leave it there. He, he says then, and love them as you love yourself. A little bit earlier in that chapter, in verse 18, he gives these words, love your neighbor as yourself. The very words that Jesus will quote in the New Testament and have become what we refer to as the second great commandment. So you see, it doesn't matter. In, it, what he was saying there is whether Jewish or foreign, Love them as a neighbor and love them as you love yourself. 
foreigners were also to be allowed to worship in the temple. 1 Kings 8, verses 41 to 43, welcoming people to worship in God's temple. And if, and if there's any place in the Gospels where we see Jesus completely agitated and passionate, it's when he cleansed the temple. And why? Because it was no longer a house of prayer for the nations was not served in that way. Isaiah says, and this temple shall be, or this house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. The Psalms are just littered with expressions of God's desire for the nations, and it is a pleading that uh, Israel would embrace God's passion, that they would get hold of the message. And we began our service this morning with these verses from Psalm 67. They bear repeating. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. But for what purpose? To make Israel great? To make us great? No, that your ways, that God's ways would be known on earth and his salvation among all nations, all nations. The prophets, both in preaching and in action, demonstrate God's heart and desire for the nations. I think most of us are familiar with Jonah, the reluctant prophet. And sure, he demonstrates Israel's reluctance, but he also demonstrates God's yearning and passion for the nations, for that nation of Nineveh or that city of Nineveh, which is a foreign city, that that God's uh, desire for them was that no one would perish in that city, but that all would come to repentance. Really short aside, do you know that Nineveh is kind of the hotbed of ISIS today? That's, that's where ISIS finds its, its main uh, location. How many of us, before we condemn Jonah, are willing to go to Nineveh and give the message? The servant songs of Isaiah, chapter 40 through uh, chapter 55. Yes, those, those verses, we often reflect on them as representing Jesus, which they do. They, they are pointing to Jesus, but... We have to remember that in the immediate message, they were a message to the people of Israel that they would embrace God's passion, that they would be raised up and equipped to be his servant, that they would bring light to the darkness and healing to the nation's brokenness. So you see, when we come to the great commission passages of the New Testament, they're not new. It's not something new that God is doing in the New Testament. It's it's just an affirmation of what God has already started way back in Genesis with Abraham. And even before that, if we had taken the time. The early church, admittedly, was a little bit slow out of the gate. A lot better than uh, uh, Israel, but a little bit slow. They, They spent a lot of time in Jerusalem and in their Judea and Samaria... But when we get to Acts chapter 13, we we see the launching of a worldwide uh, movement, a missionary movement to reach the nations. As as the church prayed and fasted and they set aside Paul and Barnabas to begin their journeys to the nations. And Paul, in one of those journeys, uh, preaching to the people 
at uh, Athens. He's, he gives us a sense of God's intention, God's desire for the nations. Uh, listen for it. Acts 17, verses 26 to 28. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God is passionate about the nations because they are his offspring. Let's look at that in a slightly different way. If God is our father, if he's the father of all the nations, and all the nations are his offspring, then all of the nations are filled with our brothers and our sisters. We are God's offspring. They are God's offspring. They are our brothers. They are our sisters. But Paul goes on, and he makes this statement in verse 30. He says, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. In other words, our brothers and our sisters living in these nations are living in peril if they don't know Jesus. They're estranged from our Father. They're estranged from us. And they are living under judgment. The New Testament gives the most compelling case that God's desire is not to judge the nations. God's desire is to reach the nations. His desire is to love the nations and to draw them in and invite them uh, into his presence. And, and just as we saw visually through Jonah that God is not willing that any should perish, Peter will say it deliberately. God is not willing that any perish, but that all would come to eternal life and that all would uh, come to repentance. But to what end? Why does God have such a passion for the nations? Well, our four children have grown up and they've added six beautiful grandchildren to our quiver. And uh, Kimberly and I have this passion to gather them all together for times of celebration. And this year especially, we have felt deeply that passion when we're separated by distance. None of them live close by. One of them lives in the, the States. And, uh, uh, and then the protocols have hindered some of the other uh, get-togethers. And, and we have this passion. They are our offspring, and, and we want to gather them together. And, and, and we don't want to just get together with one family. That we will do that. But we want to get all of them together. And I'm sure some of you can appreciate and you have and share that passion with us. But if, if we as human parents have that kind of passion, how much more so does God desire to gather his offspring together. And we get a glimpse of what God uh, envisions, what he wants as we look at John's uh, book 
of Revelation and the, and the vision that he has there. And he has this vision that one day from every tribe and language, every people group and nation, there will be people gathered around the Lord of history, Jesus Christ himself, for celebration. This is God's passion. This is God's desire to draw all of us together. Do you share that passion for the nation, said? The church has not always embraced uh, this passion. There's been mistakes if you uh, study history at all. Uh, we have stumbled on occasion. An occasion, the church has been self-centered and self-focused, and they've even discouraged people from going to the nations. But fortunately, God's uh, plan has prevailed. And in spite of the failures, there have been some inspiring examples of sacrifice. I think back to the 18th century, the very first Protestant missionaries, the Moravians, they uh, held God's passion with such fervor that uh, they, they literally sold themselves into slavery in the West Indies in order to reach Africans that had been enslaved on the plantations there. Some of them went to Africa and they entered into leper, uh, leper colonies in order to uh, minister to people there, to care for people in, leper, in those leper colonies, but also to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. But by doing so, by making that choice, they would never be able to come out of that leper colony themselves again. Do you know that the first missionaries that went out from North America with the Christian Missionary Alliance packed their belongings in coffins to ship them overseas? And why did they do that? It was a testimony, testament to the fact that they were, they were going for life and they were going willing to give their lives because they were passionate about reaching the nations. Mission history is full of stories of martyrdom and sacrifice, but far exceeding these stories are stories of young people, of college students that have taken up the call of God in their lives and went out and served in nameless places with, without drama and without all kinds of fanfare, but they have changed the face of mission history. And as I said in the first service, a bit of a shameless plug, but I, I'm going to say it again. It's why I'm committed to the Bible college movement. Because young people can be raised up there and trained there, and they can hear the call of God there to go out and serve. And we've seen just this year again, one of our young women, from a graduate from two or three years ago, uh, is headed to Mongolia. She's there now. But what opportunity awaits those who embrace God's passion? Just think about that for a minute. What opportunity awaits those who embrace his passion? And where do you begin? I want to make this practical today for you. What is your part, whether you're younger or you're older? Whatever place you are in life, where does it begin? It begins with a prayer, a simple prayer. But oh... It is a costly prayer. It is a costly prayer. It will be a costly prayer for that young person who, who hears God's voice and responds to it. But it'll be even more costly, I believe, for you as a parent or you as a grandparent 
to pray this prayer in faith over your children and over your grandchildren. This prayer expresses God's passion for our Jerusalems, for our community of Grand Prairie, for our province, for our country, and for the nations of the world. Jesus is the one that has taught us to pray this prayer. He is the one who has called us to pray this prayer. It's found in Matthew 9 and verse 38 in its simple prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. This is where you begin. Jesus began with his disciples. He asked them to make that prayer. But you know, Jesus was also thinking, you can be the answer to that prayer. And the disciples did not dis disappoint Jesus. They became those first workers that went out into the harvest field. And you know, some of them even uh, doubters and, and in some ways not the, the top of the, of the pile there of the disciples a guy like Thomas took the gospel all the way deep into India, which would have been so, so foreign to them at that time. But along with them, there has been a whole host of people we saw on the screen this morning, all of the people right from GPAC alone who have gone either long or, or short, but, but they've desired to see God's passion worked out in the nations. And some will send, some will support, and some will go, and some will do all three. But it all depends on what God wants to do in your life. Please hear me this morning. I am not up here trying to recruit international workers. It's not my role. And it is not my goal. That's God's work. What I am up here this morning is to offer you a glimpse at the passion that God has for the nations and then for you to have a conversation with him and ask him, Lord, what part do you have for me in this great enterprise? In this desire that you have to bring people from every tribe and language, people, group, and nation to one day gather around the throne. Where can you use me? And I believe me, he can use you in some aspect. So let's close with a word of silent prayer. And then uh, Pastor Anthony will come, I believe, and close off. But have a conversation with God in these next few seconds, minute. Just say, Lord, I am willing to be an answer to this prayer in some way.